0: Amnesty's Secret Comedy Podcast.
1: Ah, uh, we've just finished the show and it was a great one today. Lovely guests and an even lovelier audience. The boy with tape on his face and James A. Castor were here. David Bedille was lamenting his fading fame. There's that bloke out of Skinner and Garibaldi. <laughs> Caroline Ray told us about her relationship with her fans.
2: I'm so overly chatty, fans eventually say to me, I've got to go. <laughs>
1: And Zoe Lyons shared some skincare techniques.
3: Send it, send it, send it, send it. Grind it, grind it, grind. Varnish it to get that natural look.
1: Right at the end, Ian Rankin revealed a shocking secret about a real-life murder that he committed. So, let's get on with it, shall we? Please welcome your host, Ed Byrne. Welcome to the Edinburgh Festival's worst kept secret. It's Amnesty International's secret comedy podcast. I'm your host, Ed Byrne. Welcome back. Are you enjoying your festival thus far? Yes! There's something about the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, There's something about the atmosphere, the colourful people, just, it's just something about the place makes you want to go up to total strangers on the Royal Mile and just take them by the hand and go, what the fuck do you look like? <laughs> take that off your head, you arsehole. No one's going to go to see your show just because you painted yourself blue, you dingbat. <laughs> We're back for show number two of our stupendously overstuffed banquet of comedy fun times. Thanks to all of who've come here today to show your support for Amnesty and for great comedy. Let's get our first pair of guests on stage because we've got a lot to get through. First up is one of the nation's most famous and favourite crime writers and the creator of local boy detective Rebus. I say local boy, I mean local boy detective, not local boy detective. That would be... <laughs> that would not be good and the other is back with his first full solo show at the fringe in 15 years star of fantasy football the mary white Experience, not to mention a pretty successful author in his own right please welcome david Bedil and ian rankin
4: hello welcome hello welcome david bladdy bob they just think you've had a stroke exactly <laughs> and just to explain it, i once did about how people just get my name wrong all the time because it's quite a strange name and actually Part and parcel of that is being less famous than I used to be, and that causing sort of people... I know that because I'm often recognised in the street these days, but often now not entirely clearly. Like, the other day I was in, in London, I was getting on the Tube, and this woman was getting off, and I heard her say to a friend, ''Oh, look, there's that bloke out of Skinner and Garibaldi.'' <laughs> I get
1: Brine. A lot. Really? Get Brian and Byron are the two, two really? versions of my surname that people right, the kind do. kind of salty poet yeah. you get. Yeah in Rankin? Do people ever get your name wrong? Uh,
0: Jonathan Ross did once. Yeah. Um, uh, honestly, he did, yeah. He was... Um, Are you sure he got it wrong? He was, he was
1: presenting... I love the, the penny uh, just dropped yeah, slowly. Yeah. It so,
5: just,
1: yeah. That penny didn't so much drop as roll through the audience.
0: He was, he was genuinely, he was presenting the Q Awards one year and I was going up to, to present an award to Nick Cave and, uh, and Jonathan Ross said, and now the name I've been least looking forward to pronouncing all <laughs> the evening. Um, but he did a pretty good job of it, actually.
1: Jonathan Ross once, Jonathan Ross once introduced me by pointing out the fact that I uh, dropped out of horticulture college and said that, think about it, Ed, if rather than going into comedy, you'd stuck with gardening, you might have your own TV show by now. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a a, a good point, really. Yeah, it's completely David, this is your first Edinburgh show in 15 years. It is, yeah. What has
4: made you return?
1: Uh, Or what has kept you away for 15 years? uh, Choose
4: one of those questions. Now I can't understand the question. You've asked me too many. I don't know, really. I just wanted to try it again, really. And it was a series of accidents that led me to doing it again. But I sort of wanted to just talk about one subject. Uh, And it happened to be fame, because I think it's a subject that a lot of people talk about now, but I think fame is talked about in sort of two ways in our culture, which is this amazing bauble that we're all supposed to want, that some of us we want, or as a kind of tragic narrative that, like, Amy Winehouse or Janice Joplin have suffered. But my experience of it has been a third way, really. And my experience has been, like, for example, I was on a Ryanair flight recently, and I was trying to save uh, some priority seating seats that I had not paid for. Uh, And I was sort of going like this over there and trying to keep them. And then a guy came up to me and he said, can I sit there? And I said, no, I'm saving these seats for my children. And he said, oh, you booked priority seating in a Group, but you only paid for one seat, that's very tight. Only he didn't. He said, that's very tight, bad deal. Oh. <laughs> and so that's really my experience of fame. A thousand mundane, everyday ways in which fame has distorted my life. In
1: we, we were talking uh, backstage about the fact that you... You've, you um... You were set a challenge to do a bit of stand-up recently for, for a radio show. It has yet to go out, but, it, but you have
0: performed. Well, I, I think it goes out in a, in a week or two uh, on, on Radio 4. It was, was that a challenge? I mean, it wasn't, really, it wasn't put to me as stand-up. It was, the thing, it was Joe Caulfield's speakeasy show, and it's a mixture of performance and comedy. Um, and, and they said, just give us ten minutes of chat on stage. And I mean, I'd do that anyway. When you, you go on a book tour these days, you basically are doing an hour of stand-up. It's not always funny, but it's now a stand-up. <laughs> you're standing and you you're talking to the up? audience for an hour. I mean, you're expected to perform, and of course, writers don't become writers because they're good at doing that. Writers become writers for the very opposite reason. We're much happier in a room on our own with a laptop or a pen and paper. We don't like talking to the public. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really quite happy that, in a room with
1: a laptop, but for different reasons. <laughs> yeah. um,
0: My laptop is so old I can't get the internet on it. That's that's my defence when uh, you three come calling. Um... Do they actually come calling? (laughs) Do
4: do they phone first? Because I'd like to know, because I'm a British celebrity male over the age of 45, (laughs) ladies and (laughs) gentlemen.
0: That's why Ed's, Ed's um, gardening show never took off, because it was going to be called You tree <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: Well, stick with us, guys. Thank you very much for so far. Let's get another guest on. One of my favourites, her TV credits include Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Curb Your Enthusiasm, and The Biggest Loser USA. Uh, she's also, I happen to know, a pretty mean poker player. Will you please welcome Caroline Ray. <laughs> I'm
2: a fan of yours, Ed. I find you delightful and hilarious and charming. But you, more exciting than this, his wife is the voice of Mummy Pig on Peppa that's Pig. True, is that it's the best? Thing <laughs>
4: ever heard? And I can tell you that is complicated in a Jewish household. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's funny because my wife came, back, came in, and she said, because we we were hanging out, hang out with you two year, when you were here two years ago, and yeah. she goes, oh, I saw a Caroline. Oh, she broke up with her boyfriend, and uh, he's getting married now, and I go, oh, did she tell you all this? She goes, no, I just watched her do her
2: act. Yeah. And <laughs> It's just I, all in that. I, that's how I process it, yeah. My daughter's father, isn't that polite, the way I say it? Um, <laughs> baby daddy just is, that's just an awful, is there other, is there some better way, baby daddy? Anyway, my daughter's father, my daughter's name is Ava Ray Economopolis. Um, don't worry, we've already explained her. The Economopolis is silent. It is, um,
6: <laughs>
2: it's just a Greek word that means whoops. And I, um, no. That's, that's not nice, but whatever. <laughs> anyway, uh, he is getting married to a girl named Krista because Barbie was already taken. And she...
1: <laughs>
2: she's pretty and she's marrying him, but she doesn't have a on in front of her all the time, does she? So, um, she's actually a nude photographer. It's sort of like she's a mythical creature. Anyway, she, my daughter, is very funny and very bossy. She's four and a half. And um, she said to me, "Mummy." Mommy! She says, "Mummy, like, I'm perpetually in trouble and I've done something. Mummy, Okay. Um, Mommy, uh, are you 17 or 18? I said, I am 17. <laughs> and she said, how old is daddy? Is he 17 or 18? I said, daddy's 18. And then she said, how old is And I said, Kristen's 40. Because <laughs> I don't want to lie to my child. I think that's wrong. I love the Scottish people because they're so incredibly polite and they're so incredibly mean. And... Um, <laughs> I was trying on a dress at Jenner's, the department store.
1: Yes. You
2: know, and the woman was very proper, the sales girl. And she, first of all, she's something very mean. When you go into a dressing room, I think this is a very, she said to me, Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, that was so unkind. And then when I came out of the dressing room, I was sort of in a bit of denial. And I said, Do you think that this dress is too big on me? And she was so polite, she said, quite the opposite, madam, quite the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, thank you. And then there was a lovely boy um, last time I was here who was, um, you never see this in Edinburgh during the festival. He was vomiting and um, all over the floor and he was really quite ill and he looked up as vomiting and I walked by and he went, wait, wait. I'm like, no, no, you, you continue with that. And he goes, no, wait, you were, you were on the telly. And I'm like, yes, but it's best not to think about it now. It's obviously making you ill, so just forget it. And he goes, what was this show you were on? And I said, um, I was on Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And then he very sweetly said, oh, you were in my wunk bunk when I was 15. So it's really nice to be here. Yeah. It really is.
1: We, we've just been talking about, about fame, and that, I think that's, that's the best recognising story I've heard in a
6: good
2: while. I'm the kind of celebrity, um, like some are very intimidating, I'm the kind of celebrity, um, I'm so overly chatty, fans eventually say to me, I've got to go. <laughs> I had
1: the weirdest recognition two years ago, just walking along the streets here, and it was just a very odd one, where a guy, he was just standing in a doorway, and I was just, walking along the streets and he just almost like I was pretending I wasn't there the guy just went I see you
4: <laughs> <I was like, laughs> Andrew Lloyd Webber just thinks that I am Ben Elton, okay? I heard a showbiz rumour once that uh, when he was writing The Beautiful Game, that musical about uh, football, he was watching fantasy football, and he just said to one of his minions, oh, go and get me that bearded uh, Jewish-looking bloke off the telly. And they went and got him Ben Elton, right, by mistake. And I thought, well, that's got to be a lie. But then Frank Skinner met Andrew Lloyd Webber, and Andrew Lloyd Webber said to him, oh, I do like that show you do on the sofa with Ben. This is after he'd written a fucking musical with Ben Elton. (laughs) So, one day, I met Andrew Lloyd Webber at a showbiz party, and I said to him, um, Andrew, you know I'm not Ben Elton, don't you? And he just looked really frightened and confused, like, oh my God, what's wrong with Ben? (laughs) Is he having some kind of nervous breakdown? And, uh, and he moved away, really quite quickly, in a flustered kind of way. And as he moved away, he said under his breath, of the woman he was with, he said, oh, this is Sarah. But she didn't hear him, and I thought, that's odd, because I know his last wife was called Sarah, well, never mind. So I start talking to her, she's very nice. I say, what do you do for Andrew? She says, oh, I look after the horses and the estate, I think some kind of PA. And because it's a showbiz party, so a really fucking weird world, Eamon Holmes, who I don't know, right, <laughs> comes over, and I say to Eamon Holmes, "So, oh, Eamon, this is Sarah. And she looks absolute daggers at me, and she says, says, is that meant to be some kind of joke? And then I realised in a flash what had happened. When Andrew Lloyd Webber moved off in a fluster, he'd confused the name of his present wife, who this woman was, with the name of his previous wife, Sarah Brightman. And I thought, well, that's too embarrassing. I can't tell her that. So when she said, is that meant to be some kind of joke? I said, yes. And she said, well, it's not a very funny one. <laughs> so I went and found Andrew Lloyd Webber. I slunk away. It was incredibly embarrassing. I went and found Andrew Lloyd Webber in some other corner of the, of the party. And I said to him, um, Andrew, just a word to the wise. Uh, you told me your wife's name was Sarah. It isn't Sarah, is it? But I introduced her to someone else as Sarah. That was really embarrassing. Please never do that again to anyone. And he said, I'm really sorry about that, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't know if that was a joke. Ian, uh, Ian, has
1: anybody ever congratulated you on your Uncle Remus character?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. um, no, not Remus, but I, I, I mean, I've, I've done the usual thing. I've gone to high schools and standing up in front of the assembly, there are 300 kids there, and the headmaster said, "We're so lucky we've got Ian Banks with us today." <laughs> you know, here we go. And and he had the same thing. Um, I mean, God bless him. He went to distillery for a tour, and he said, "Oh, we've always wanted you to come and visit us because we thought it would be a great place for a murder." And he goes, I'm sorry, that's Ian Rankin. Um, and even after his death, it continues to happen. Um, his widow told me that, you know, a few days after he died, a workman came round and said he was so sorry to hear about the, the, the author of Inspector Rebus had died, and she went, no, that's, that's not him. Hello? So it just, it just ha- so happens that two guys from Fife, Ian Rankin and Ian Banks, both grew up to be writers with fairly similar names, and throughout their lives get confused.
1: Thank you all very much indeed for joining us. Caroline, Ian, and David, thank you. Much. Right, uh, a little bit of stand-up comedy now. Uh, he's been compared to Richard Herring, Stuart Lee, Daniel Kitson. He's the third most famous thing to come out of Kettering after Hugh Dennis and Weetabix. He's, uh, seriously, genuinely, whenever people ask me of late, a lot of the time when I do interviews, I get asked, so who's, who's good? Who's good that's new? Who should we be watching out for? And I always say this bloke, because he's absolutely fantastic. Please give a big hand to Mr. James Acaster.
6: Good to see you, all. Uh, my name's James. Finally figured out what I want to do in my life. I want to be an ice cream man. Big time. i going to make so much money doing it as well, I'll tell you how. i going to be the first ice cream man who offers free refills. Get the cone, fill it up with ice cream, give it to you, bring the cone back, you get a free refill. Now, a lot of people have said to me, James, That is the worst business plan I've ever heard, mate. You're gonna lose a lot of money doing that. That's because they're thinking of free refills in terms of places like Nando's, which is a fixed location, right? I'm in a van. (laughs) They've got to catch me first. (laughs) Give them the cone, or speed off, zigzagging in and out of traffic. They've got to search the whole country looking for me, all the time, resisting the temptation to eat their own cone. (laughs) I'd also like to be a skywriter. You know, the people who go up in planes writing smoke in the sky. Well, someone did point out to be quite hard just to learn how to fly a plane in the first place. I think maybe the best I can hope for is I might better fly around just underlining other people's skywriting. <laughs> uh, like sky emphasis. <laughs> if they write something I disagree with, I can fly along, cross it out. <laughs> Even better, get some of that red smoke they got in the red arrows, go around underlining spelling mistakes. <laughs> The most popular thing that people have skywritten is marry me with a question mark. That's it. No name involved. That is too vague. Can we see by everyone in a 30 mile radius? I'm not proposing using that. I don't like the thought of some guy walking the park with his girlfriend 10 miles away, turns to her, gets down on one knee, gets a ring out of his pocket. At that moment, can't believe his luck when a plane appears in the sky, starts writing marry me for all to see. You think he's not gonna take credit for that shit? Isn't it if he doesn't? When you think about it, he hasn't really got a choice. What else is he meant to do? Just go, sorry, what? <laughs> oh, that's not for you. <laughs> that must be for a very special lady.
5: <laughs>
6: <laughs> Let's get the planes that tow the banner behind them. You seen these ones? And the words are written on the banner instead. You know that banner might as well say? Hey everyone, i failed my skywriting exam. <laughs> Pathetic. That's what I'm worried about, man, I'd fail that exam. I'm not good at exams. That's why I do a lot of questionnaires in my spare time. Questionnaires based basically like really easy exams that I actually know all the answers to, I love them. What's the subject? Me and what I think about stuff. I've revised for that. Ask me any question about myself, I'll tell you the answer. Well, hey James, why is a young man like you, dressed head to toe, in Marks & Spencer? <laughs> the answer? Because Top Man don't sell Percy Pigs. <laughs> Pretty simple, really. If you sell the best sweet the universe has ever known, I'm buying everything that stands between me and that suite. <laughs> Thanks. Cheers. Thank you. Huh?
1: what I tell you? what I tell you? Take a seat there, we're going to need your help for something very shortly. But hold on to your boots, people, because we're diving straight in to a bit more stand-up comedy. Jermaine Greer thinks she's a bit harsh but loves her tats. That's, that's a, apparently a quote. <laughs> I think she's fantastic as well, I've worked with her many times over the years. Will you please put your hands together, welcome to the stage, the very funny Zoe Lyons!
3: Hello, hello, very nice to be here in Edinburgh. I. Uh, I entertain myself when I'm here at the Fringe in Edinburgh by just walking up the Royal Mile holding an umbrella aloft and seeing how many tourists I can get to peel off their own tour groups and then just walk them back to my house. It's great. I've got 32 confused Spaniards in my one bedroom flat this afternoon. It's it's fun. It is. It's fun. It's hard work being here at Edinburgh. It's, it's a long old hall. You know, you've got to look after yourself. I, you tend to drink a little bit too much. I realised I was drinking a bit too much last time I was here at Edinburgh when I woke up one morning and turned to my flatmate and went, That is a very nice breakfast wine. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I will choose a wine by its label as well. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not proud. I'll choose. anybody else do that? Choose a wine by its label? Abs- I will. I'll pick it up and go, That looks like a serious bottle of wine. Look at that. That's got a. That's got a frog in a top hat riding a bicycle. That's a a serious bottle of wine. I have no idea what the bouquet of a frog in a top hat wearing a bicycle would be, but I want to drink enough wine to find out what a frog in a top hat riding a bicycle smells like. That's what I want to do. And then you turn it over, it's got a little serving suggestion on it. It goes, goes well with fish and pork. And you think, I don't care. I'm not eating. Will it go well with the two bottles of wine I've had before it? That's what I want to know. I eat too much as well when I'm here. I tend to eat quite a lot. I I, I left my dinner the other day. I got up to leave, put my sunglasses on. I thought, oh, they feel tight. Uh, And That's... professional eating, you know, I'd probably let myself go a little bit, I went into Harvey Nicks the other day, down at Edinburgh, the big Harvey Nicks, I don't know whether you've been in there, it's quite intimidating in the women's department in Harvey Nicks, isn't it? Well, the women, have you seen those women that work in Harvey Nicks in the women's department, the department where they sell all the creams and the potions and the life changing perfumes, all those women that look like they've been up since 3am, just layering, layering layering, 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 layering buff buffet, buffet, buffet. buff, it, buff, it, buff it. Sand it, sand it, sand it, sand it grind it, grind it, grind Feel it, feel it, Ron Seal, Ron Seal Ron seal, sign it, varnish it to get that natural look. Have you seen those? You... They're quite intimidating. One of those came bounding up to me. I could see it in her eyes. She was going, Commission! She came bounding up to me. She said, hello, madam. How are you today? I was like slightly intimidated. Thank you very much. She went, can I introduce you to a, a cream that will reduce the visible signs of aging? I went, go on. She said, it's called Define. I said, how much is it? She went, 75 quid. I was like, 75. Do you know how many bottles of wine I can get with a frog on the label for 75 quid? She said, it'll reduce the visible signs of age. She went, you're all right, love. I've got my own method of reducing the visible signs of age. And she said, what do you use? I said, um, back up. a Little bit further. One step more. I said, can you see the visible signs of aging now? I said, no, you won't, that's called distance. That's free, I suggest you keep it. Thank you very much, cheers.
1: And Zoe, thank you very much indeed for that. Stick around, because again, you're going to be helping us out with something at the end of the show. We have one more guest now to join us. Our final guest uh, broke through at the Fringe here a couple of years ago. He's an absolutely fantastic act. I first worked with him in New Zealand uh, a few years back. And he, he's, he, he works without speaking, but we're going to interview him anyway. So <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, will you please welcome the man known as The Boy With Tape On His Face. <laughs> Very much for joining, it's, 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 it's uh, I mean, this is probably odd for you, it's talking. It's more odd
5: for people, I think, because I'm used to my voice. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Have you all seen The Boy With Tape On His Face perform? Yep. Yeah. It's a fantastic actor. You, obviously, no. <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> let the listeners know that he just clamped his hand over his face and half the audience suddenly recognised him when they hadn't before. Um, At Amnesty, obviously, we're all about freedom of speech. Do you find not speaking as a performer itself quite liberating.
5: Yeah, it's rare. I I enjoy doing the show because that way I I do shut up for the hour and I let other people fill in the blanks of the show, which is really, really fun. It's different for, like I suppose you guys have your your words to remember, but for me it's just a case of remembering where everything is on stage and if it's in the right box. And so if you guys forget a word or a a link or something, I'm on stage going, I've physically forgotten the prop, it's backstage, I now need to make up a whole lot of other stuff, which is (laughs) a lot more stressful, I think.
3: I like to pretend I'm having like a pinterestque pause if I forget. Well. Um. It happened to me on the first, and the preview here, I, I totally forgot where I was in the show, and it was... I don't, does that ever happen to you? I just totally forgot. I just thought, yes. I'll just hold my... <laughs>
6: <laughs> Can you ask me a question, Zoe? Wait for me to... <laughs> OK, sorry. <laughs>
3: I forgot this is Mock the Week. Sorry, James. <laughs> Forget to take turns. That's how this works, isn't it? It's a proper human interaction. I'm so sorry. I forgot where I was. <laughs> the other
5: That's thing, I had another uh, uh, theatre street performer friend give me a bit of advice to, to how to keep the show fresh, which I haven't done yet, but I might halfway through this fringe. Uh, his, his advice was to, to take a little bit of Tiger Balm right before the show and just put it on your balls. And uh, I've done that. And about, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Works really works. <laughs> and and about, yeah, about ten minutes in, you're suddenly oh, you? <laughs> Well,
1: it, it, Zoe does do that, which is quite difficult because Zoe actually keeps her balls in my scrotum, which is uh,
5: I have so to it's really, every it's day. really quite uncomfortable.
1: As <laughs> uh, stand-ups myself and Zoe and James, we're, we're limited in that we can really only perform places where people speak English. But you can go
5: anywhere, anywhere at all. Yeah.
1: And uh, do do you have a favourite
5: spot? Um, I'm a really, obviously you have to say Scotland, but apart from Scotland, I like Norway. Norway's really good. Yeah. Although I didn't know Norway was so freaking expensive.
3: Edvard Munch's The Scream was painted after we bought a round at the bar. That's, <laughs> <laughs> That's the backstory. I, I ended to that up painting. living on
5: street vendor hot dogs for four days, it, and even that was really expensive. And then at the end of that, myself and my friend just went. Oh. Screw it, we're going to TGI Fridays, we'll treat ourselves. We got a cheeseburger and a Coke, and it came to 55 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. And then I converted it to New Zealand dollars, and fuck me. You yeah. bought <laughs> <People laughs> Auckland. <laughs> not happy. In fairness, I remember performing in New Zealand
1: for a month and get, getting paid, I thought, quite well. <laughs> and then converting that back into British pounds and going, I have been robbed. Yeah. <laughs> Those dirty Kiwi bastards. <laughs> <laughs> As we have one of the most famous names in mime of the 21st century here with us today, we thought we would go out with a little game. Amnesty International shines a light on the sordid secrets of evil regimes around the world and we've made it our mission to make our guests on the show come clean with their own dirty little secrets. So you have a mercifully short 30 seconds before the klaxon, that's that, sounds and the time is up. So for the benefit of the listeners at home, I'm going to attempt to describe what you're doing, which might be coloured by the fact that I'll know what you're trying to mime. (laughs) And I might give the game away. This could be all done quite quickly. Anyway, here is uh, Ian Rankin's secret. Your 30 seconds starts now.
3: He was drunk when he
6: wrote most of his books.
1: He, he is staggering drunkenly in he was, fairness. He was drunk with a pig? Drunk with a...
3: He did something with a pig. Oh, was... oh look at oh, like that. Oh, really? That's... He didn't throttle a pig when he was drunk. He...
6: You wrestled a pig when you were drunk.
3: Wrestled... That time is up. You are on,
1: you're on the right track in the words drunk and pig. <laughs> He got a pig drunk. Yes! (laughs) Legend. In fact, full disclosure, he once killed a pig by getting it drunk. He fed squashed grapes to pigs that were supposed to be fresh, but they weren't. They fermented, and so it was an accident. Sort of. Okay. Well, I'm going to declare a winner of that competition, and it was Zoe. Congratulations, Zoe. Well done. You've won an Amnesty International checkbook and pen.
3: Brilliant.
1: <laughs> well, a pen. Okay. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, a round of applause please for our lovely guests, Sam, James, and Zoe. Uh, so thank you to all our guests today, David Baddiel, Ian Rankin, Zoe Lyons, James Acaster, Caroline Ray, and the boy with the tape on his face. And thanks to all of you for coming along here today to show your support for Amnesty and for great comedy. I've been your host, Ed Byrne. We'll be back tomorrow for more of The Fringes, or kept secret. Thank you very much.
7: Hello, my name is Anne-Marie D'Souza and I work in the education team at Amnesty International where we find exciting and topical ways to enable teachers to educate their students in human rights. We create resources that make big, complex human rights issues real and meaningful to young people. We run competitions to get students excited about how they can change things. Recently, thousands of young people entered a competition to write a protest song. They composed really creative and moving pieces on everything from torture to child soldiers and human trafficking. And it was a great way to get students thinking and talking about human rights. Amnesty have over 100 volunteers who we train to speak to children in schools about the work we do and to inspire them to be active with Amnesty. I love my job because I know education changes lives. Educating people about human rights will make a brighter future for us all. To find out more about my work and Amnesty, then just go to www.amnesty.org.uk and please donate £5 by texting FREEDOM and your full name, to seven zero five
3: zero five zero five zero five. Thank you.